took my voice and that was the worst part of all of it. It took like a solid year and a half, two years to even be able to talk about it without crying, but also realizing the power when someone takes your freaking voice of not being able to be like, this doesn't feel right. Can I offer an opinion? I see something differently. It's huge. Welcome to Working Your Way, the podcast dedicated to unraveling the journey of being authentic in the workplace. I'm your host, Sunia Sadakar, and my guest today is Tiffany Welton. She's a former executive turned entrepreneur. She started her wine bar, RBF, in North Carolina, not just as a place to grab a drink with your friends and catch up on life, but as a mission. I don't want to say too much because she talks about all of it in the episode, And I'm still reflecting on just how cool all of this is. We get into a lot in this episode. We go deep into how our childhood experiences can impact what we're willing to accept at work. And we also talk about Tiffany's experiences in the corporate world with having her voice taken away to now how she's leading and creating a culture of transparency and collaboration and agency in an industry not typically known for having great culture. Okay, let's get into this episode. This is going to be fun. Hi, Tiffany. Welcome to Working Your Way. I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And I am super excited to get into talking about RBF, your restaurant and bar, and Um, what you're doing now as a leader, but I really want to kind of rewind a little bit to start. I'm curious, where did you get your first messages around what work was and what work would look like? I had, like both my parents, both had great jobs. My dad had really built his career from nothing. He came from a pretty poor background and had really dug his way through work, had grown within companies. He led many companies. He did a lot, a lot with entrepreneurship. He he really had this very strong, strong work ethic, probably too intense on some levels as I grew up. Um, but he led companies. He kind of, he led in the way of, what's the word? Like, just being the dictator. I think his one company he he was at, they made a video about him that like called him like the only living heart donor, things like that. So he came from oh a gosh. very like so that he led with fear, he led with intimidation, he mm. led in this power like you come to the table in a very very powerful way. Um And so we saw a lot of that, but also we saw a lot of your career is who you are. That is your identity. With my mother, she, she also came from just definitely less financial opportunities for her growing up where, I mean, they, my grandparents sent my uncle to college and not her because she was a woman, you know, she still kind of drug her way through college and really built up her career. She had the hustle and the grind as well. And she did a ton with her career as well. She also kind of led in almost that same way in a little bit of an intimidation, but then it was like, it would be like, be harsh, but then be too nice and then be harsh and be too nice. And so I think she, ne- she struggled to find that medium place of 
where she actually fit in authentically. I think she was always trying to do something she thought she should be doing mm. as a little in a little bit of a people pleasing way. So I think in my growth in my career, figuring out, like kind of seeing two different two parents doing what they I think they thought they were supposed to do without doing yeah. things necessarily authentic. So that it was interesting. It's been interesting seeing myself and my sister in leadership roles and how in the pieces that we have taken from both of them in our own ways. Two very distinctly different styles. I'm curious the the kind of harsh, direct, and then kind of like really nice and kind of accommodating swing mm-hmm. that you saw in your mother's leadership style. Which of those two do you think was like her true self and which one do you think was like compensating? <laughs> Is she going to watch this? So I think I think she wanted to be taken seriously. I think she had that imposter syndrome sometimes. I think she led sometimes in that fear of people would see through her in certain ways, but then she would have like the empathetic mother thing kick in. So I, and so I think they were, they were both her. They were both her. She just wasn't able to necessarily bring a level of authenticity and mesh those two things to make it rather than like a pendulum swinging to make it kind of one force to go in. So I think that's where she struggled in that, where I think, I mean, my dad is pretty right. I mean, that's pretty standard of him sort of leading in like that fear-based way. I think that was very much who he, what, who he is. But also I think that came from also just probably a lot of insecurity. And I think when it comes down to both of them, I think it came down to their leadership styles came down to total insecurity. Yeah. And I mean, you know, decades ago in the workplace, like there were different standards too, or different kind of norms, I guess I would say. Right. And so Mm -hmm. having a, a very hierarchical kind of strong kind of patriarchal style was, Mm-hmm. Not expected, but was quite common. Absolutely. And I found like probably there was a good chunk of my career where I was in a very male dominated industry. And it was long enough ago, but not long enough ago where I think we're now at the place of just kind of sh- shutting some stuff down and certain conversations down where you still sort of had to do like the oh, like smile and laugh at this stupid inappropriate jokes and take some of it but still still sort of hold your ground and i think my mom did where like the types of jobs she was in and different sales and business development and marketing where she was still surrounded in a lot of that male dominated space where she didn't have the choice like she just kind of you know she just had to do that so i think a lot of that dominance that came into her role was probably a lot of that insecurity of what came from before, but then the people pleasing came from, oh crap, I might not be able to do this. As you started your career, what were you doing? And what were you, how were you showing up in that moment? It was an incredibly intimidating environment. It was very movie-like, bullpen, boiler room, everyone in their like low cubicles so everyone can see eyeball to each other people on the phone like walking up to you yelling like how dare you call my client i like i I mean it was so aggressive and my bosses were aggressive and 
oh my God, they could have probably been sued so many times over for the things that they said or what like I wasn't able to do. Like you are not allowed to take a lunch. Like you, like, I mean, like the, the things that came with that, like hustle and grind, I was not ready at the beginning. And like, I was just this new little baby out of college. Like I, but I think that really started a lot of like where my, my career went and how I, walked into certain places and probably a boldness that came with me mostly because I had to, it's like you were either going to get eaten alive or you were going to make it. And in that role, I, I was able to make it. I did very well. I was consistently a top performer, but I would still being told every day, like I could be fired tomorrow. So I was, it was that I was in a very fear-based role for a long time. And mm-hmm. I probably took that with me in, in a lot of different ways of it doesn't matter if you're doing great, you're always replaceable. Like it, it doesn't matter if you're number, like you're never safe. And so I think there was a lot of that that came with me throughout my career of just this absolute lack of safety. And it, and until I've kind of gotten into, and obviously owning a business, it's like, there's no safety in it, but I feel more safe owning my own business than I ever did working for somebody else, which is just crazy. So I guess that's where I, I started in, in that. And it really, I I think that's just where I've been, where I was for 20 years is sort of just fear-based. Yeah. That, I mean, and it's, sounds like you were in kind of like a business development role where it's all based on activity and churn and work more and deliver more and close more. Right. And so it's Mm -hmm. like that mentality of, driving that fear-based culture so that nobody fully sits down, right? They're always like constantly on guard and leaning forward and don't get settled, right? Don't get comfortable here. That's exactly it. So what impact did that have? Because it sounds like you you were able to thrive in that environment. I'm using air quotes here Mm -hmm. from a from a results standpoint, but what impact did that have on you? physically, mentally, emotionally to work in that kind of environment? I would say like childhood wise and growing up, I was kind of told that my reality wasn't true. It was, I would say, this is how I'm feeling. It's like, nope, that's not right. That's not actually Mm -hmm. how you feel. That's not actually what happened. That's not actually the situation. You're wrong. So I spent many, many years questioning what I actually knew, my instincts, my gut instincts, any of those things, really. And also, really kind of in a bullying environment. So I was used to having bullies handling it, and literally putting myself in almost a scapegoat position. And because that's sort of what I was, I was a lo- I was definitely this in the scapegoat role. And looking back on 20 years of working, I always had jobs where I had the worst clients, the hardest clients, the clients that would call and scream and curse and yell, and I would handle it. And I would, it was, I mean, would there be times I'd get off the phone and cry 1000%, but like, I would still handle it and I would do it and I'd still put people like be able to put boundaries on it and do it. But for some reason, I always put myself in that place. And so I think it took therapy, some kind of like just a lot of personal development work in that of like, why did I like, but it was because I felt comfortable. I think it's why people go in relationships. They, when they leave one crappy relationship and they go into another one and they're like, oh, it feels great. It feels so like I've known this person for a long time. 
It's because yeah. it feels similar and yeah. it's because it's what you've known. And so I think that's what I was doing. I was just kind of going from role to role of, oh, I think this is great, except no, it just was a reminder of sort of this lifelong scapegoatness that I felt. So I think it it affected me quite a bit. I think it affected my relationships 1000%. And I think it was definitely within my mid 30s is when I had a lot of these realizations. I put boundaries in place. I completely changed friendships. I changed relationships. I changed conversations I had with my family. I changed like what I would allow for my family. I changed so many different pieces because I just had this like total realization of how my childhood seeped into my career and kind of the place that I was. And I told myself at the point that point, I will never be in this place again. In any relationship I have, in any friendship, in any career, I'm not going to do that. And I'm also going to protect people around me as well. We kind of calibrate to a certain frequency, if you will, of like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is what normal is in our childhood for many reasons, right? And we can all blame our parents for all the ways that we're messed up. But like, there's more to it than that. Absolutely. 1000%. Yeah. And like then that becomes our our state of normalcy, our, our homeostasis. And when we're, when we're back in it, in a workplace or things like that, it mm-hmm. can be like, oh, this, well, this is just how it, it is. So we got pretty deep here. Tiffany shared the concept that if you're used to a certain type of relationship, that you kind of keep going back to that. And this is true. We tend to normalize certain types of environments or experiences based on our past experience. If you're raised in a family that dealt with conflict by yelling and having a lot of emotional reactivity, that like programs into your system and it starts to feel normal when you're at a really young age. And so as you get older, talking things out may not feel like you're solving the problem. It's like, no, wait, this isn't fixed because there's something missing. If you think about this in the workplace, we can look to our upbringing and the behaviors that we normalize in our systems, and we can often see some of the patterns that might be getting in our way. If you grew up never experiencing healthy communication, and frankly, most of us didn't, you model whatever you're used to. That could look like having a parent that just passed things off as yeah, everything is great, or even when it wasn't, or having conflict avoidance in your household, it may feel unsafe when you feel like you need to bring things up that are bothering you just because that was just not something you ever did. It's almost now something you have to train yourself to do as an adult. Think about what type of communication was or is normal for your family, and then how you could develop yourself at work to maybe start to unwind some of those patterns. Okay, let's get back to Tiffany and her career journey. What was the leadership role that you took on kind of most recently before starting your own business? So my last director role, it was with a software company in Phoenix. And salary was great. It was an almost all-women leadership team. I was like, yes, this is exactly what I want because I was in the place of like wanting to mentor women 
not deal with what I had to do where you had such fewer seats at the table. I wanted to bring people in. I wanted to coach them. It's like, let's make room. Let's do make some big changes. I always want people to feel safe moving on and advocating for themselves, even if that's in another job. Even It's like, hey, I got in a job offer and it's more money and it's what I want to do. Cool, go to town. Great. Like, and, yeah. and great. Instead of like punishing people for taking care of themselves and wanting to advance, I want to do that. And I, I've always felt very, very passionately about that. And so I was like, this is going to be this great place to do that. It was not the great place to do that. And it was exactly what I wanted to be against. It was a bunch of people that wanted to hold their role, that never wanted to invite anyone to the table, that wanted to make sure that everyone was belittled, that no new ideas existed. If you bring up something that had been done before, it's like, well, we've already done that before. It's like, well, guess what? We're in a pandemic now. Like, life is different. Life has changed. And it was a very closed-minded. It was very aggressive. It was very non-progressive. And I think my biggest lesson from that was for me being in leadership roles, technically without titles, I was almost running my own little businesses in previous jobs. My bosses, I, I had one boss, Sarah Pace Jones, and this is when I was working in organ and tissue donation for transplant. I was kind of the only one that could really do what I was doing. And she would say to me, if they ever ask for your boss, tell them they've hit as hard, they've, they've hit the highest they can go because you're going to deal with this better than I am. And she gave me that power to do those types of things and to be able to, like I said, in some of these angry client situations say, you're not allowed to talk to me like that. This is not how this is going to work. We're going to get off the phone and you're going to call me back when we can have a conversation, we can move forward but this isn't going to work for me. She gave me that power to do that and to do it confidently. She's like, you do this. You, you are going to do this better than anyone. And the leadership role was the complete opposite. 1,000 complete opposite where it was, if every time I opened my mouth, I was going to get screamed at, belittled, publicly shamed over Slack. Um, it was It was probably the most... I know the words thrown around all the time, but the most toxic environment I've ever been in in my entire life. It was mm. go yell at your employee, go, sh- go, go absolutely ream their ass, go do this. It's like, okay, well, I can kind of see where she, nope, go ream them, go like have a hard conversation with the employee. The employee would go to my boss and she'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe she did that or said that. It was just, it, what I think beyond all the little things and all the things that happened and the horribleness of a woman that I reported to, she took my voice and that was the worst part of all of it. And after getting out of the job and sitting in it, it took like a solid year and a half, two years to even be able to talk about it without crying, but also realizing the power when someone takes your freaking voice of not being able to be like, this doesn't feel right. Can I offer an opinion? I see something differently it's huge and it's huge for your employees. It's huge for you. It's, and I, I think it's the biggest piece of anything of anything job wise is making sure people know that they're heard, they're seen, they're validated and they know they can come and talk to you and they can have a conversation without you just freaking the hell out or having repercussions or any type of retribution on it. And I think that was my biggest lesson that came from it is the power of voice and the power of taking it, taking it away. Yeah. What, I mean, what you're talking about 
is a big part of psychological safety. It's like, I can say yep. something that someone's not going to agree with and like, it's, I'm going to be okay. I'm safe to do exactly. that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's one thing that I've always tried to take with me in opening this business is we all started this together. I mean, that we, I hadn't done anything like this before. We, we, we've talked about it now that we're almost at a year. We talked about it at our six month. Like we actually look back on that first month and we laugh on certain things. We're like, what the hell were you thinking? But we did it all together. And it was like, when someone comes to me, it's like, Hey, I, I think with this one thing that we're doing, I think it could be better for not just us, but the guests for this and this and this, if we change it this way, I'm like, great. Tell me about it. Like they tell me about it. It's like, okay, I'm going to need more information. Can you put it in writing so I can kind of see costs? I can see how this would shift, how it process processes, how this flow would go. They're like, cool. Sometimes they tell me something. I'm like, here's why I see what you're saying, but here's the background on it. Here is the background on something that my husband and I do like, and the things, all the things behind the scenes and why we do this way. And they're like, cool. That makes actually makes way more sense. So like, the power of transparency, the power of like your voice and the power of, you know, giving it to people. This is such an important point. Using your voice is arguably the most important way you express yourself in the world. And when that's taken from you, it can feel like you have your agency taken away. And you could just hear it in the contrast of what Tiffany built herself, where every employee felt empowered and had a voice. She's giving her employees agency in every step of their jobs. You have a better idea than me? Bring it up. Let's talk about it. I'll tell you what I'm thinking and you tell me what you're thinking and we can figure out the best way forward. Later in the episode, we talk a lot more about how she's building a culture that ensures her employees have a voice and in turn that they truly feel a sense of agency in every part of their work. I imagine that that latest role going into it, it's like, wow, women run this company. It's going to be this like great mm-hmm. environment. And then it ended up being really like completely the, the opposite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. What was that experience like for you? I mean, aside from, you know, you mentioned a lot mm-hmm. of things about just not having a voice and it taking kind of an emotional toll Mm -hmm. on you but like what what were you feeling like in those days there was almost a grief where you think women are in it together and you realize there's a lot of us that are and there's a lot of us that aren't and i think there was a level of like it almost felt like it felt like a loss it felt like the things that you thought and believed were actually not true and Mm. it was really hard to see there was like hello i've been We've all been around mean girls and people that, but I I thought we had kind of crossed a threshold. I was like, okay, like me too. We're like, we're doing some big things. Like we're, we're, we're coming together. And then I realized that there's so much that we still need to do. And so I had to really think through that and what that looked like because I didn't want to become bitter. And so I think I kind of came to the place of there was so much work to get us here. There were women that literally put their lives, everything on the line to just get us to this place, to have a freaking credit card, to buy a house, to, I mean, it was not that long ago where it was completely legal for husbands to abuse their wives. I I mean, people have literally 
put their lives at stake for us to get to this place. And there's this entire group of people that don't realize it and or realize that we're not done and we still have work to do. But to get that done, we have to start communicating and we have to start talking and we have to start talking about where this shit comes from. We all have a story. We all have shit we've dealt with. It was exactly what I talked about. There's a reason why I sat in jobs for 20 years. It was because of kind of slight family conditioning. It, but we're all, we all have that. And I think to really be able to dig into that, one, admit it to ourselves, have those conversations, really be able to be at peace with some of those things, but also communicate with it to another person and listen to theirs and understand it, I think helps us get there. And so I could be pissed and I could, I mean, I still am a little pissed. I could be pissed as to what I was put through in that year and a half, but it's also what can I do differently that they didn't do for me? And so I think that's how I've been able to take it and remember my great boss at my other job. What did she do that made me feel like I could take ownership of my job? I'm going to do that, but I'm going to change a couple things to make it authentic to me. And to make sure people know like that this isn't just me copying things. But at the same time, it's it's still just part of my brand and my mission and what I want to do. And I think that's how I've been able to cope with that emotionally over the years, I think. Long yeah. way of answering. What you were describing around the grief or the loss, it's like almost just like this feeling like you're going to go into a job and it for it to be a certain type of environment. And then the recognition that like, this is not it. And Oh, by the Mm -hmm. way, I'm sure that those leaders grew up professionally in an environment that was really patriarchal. They felt like they had to be a certain way to survive. Right. And Mm -hmm. carried that on knowing Mm -hmm. that we balance that with like, we're full grown adults and we have agency to, to be better and to do better and to recognize those things. Right. But there's always a reason. And I can like viscerally feel like when you were describing, like it was just like hurtful and sad. And and, like this thing that you wanted to be true wasn't the reality. And like, oh, that's it's heavy. It's heavy. I think it goes into other pieces as well of, I mean, we get to a point I'm 40 and I had a conversation with my mother in the last couple of couple of months where she was very politically driven in her youth. Like she was on political campaigns. She was on Bobby Kennedy's campaign. She was putting buttons in his pocket. She should have been in the kitchen with him when he got shot. Like she was very, she was, she was so driven to have things get better. And she's, over 75, you know, so she's gotten to a point of where she's like, I don't really have the fight in me me anymore, which I fully understand. But we had to have that conversation because we were kind of battling in certain ways as to the political environment that we're currently in. And I'm at that place. I'm like, let's fight injustices. Let's move forward. Let's change things. Things are that it's let's not move backwards. Let's do these things. And she wasn't understanding where I was coming from. So I literally had to tell her, I'm like, the person I am today is a lot of it because of that person who you were. And so like there were part of me, parts of me that had to grieve that loss of that mother. Sorry. I even cry and talk about that. So I think you just have to make the choice what that looks like. God, I'm sorry. It's, it's real. It's real, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I think, 
I always want to take those things into leadership of those feelings and connecting with people and fighting for them. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no apologies needed here. So let's let's talk about what you're doing now to transition into the all these lessons that you've taken about what were the leaders that made a, a great impact on you? How did they yeah. make you feel? What were they doing? The leaders that were terrible and that traumatized you, what were they doing? And what do I not want to do? And what, sure. what are the environments? So you left that last job and decided to start your own business. So it tell did, me yes. about like that pivotal moment. It took me a hot minute to, I think, figure out if I could do the entrepreneurial thing. And I think a lot of it did come from this terrible job experience. I think a lot of it did stem from that and losing my voice, not feeling capable, because I think that comes with that territory of like, you're, you're obviously not qualified to do things. And so I think there was a lot of that that sat in me. My partner, Michael, he's had his own business, his own leadership consulting business for 14, 15 years. So he had been doing that the entire time I've known him. True story. He was actually my leadership coach coming out of grad school. Whoopsie daisy, you know. And so he, we, I mean, our dinner time conversations were never normal dinner time conversations. It was, what do you like, what do you want to take out of things you've done? Like you wanted to do leadership things, but what part of it's do you like? What parts don't you like? What would you change? What would you do differently? If this horrible company you're working for, what what would you do if you were in this horrible boss's role? What would you like? So these were the things that we're always talking about. We're always mm -hmm. just kind of riffing in what does, there's no perfect world, but what does it look like? Like where, where do I take my expertise or things that I feel like are my strengths and what do I do with it? And so after I left a terrible job, I did work with Michael and his business for, for about a year. And so we, we were moving from Arizona to North Carolina during that time, but we sort of made an agreement with each other and said, okay, I'm going to work with you in your business for till the end of what year was that? 21 at the beginning of 22. Let's figure it out. Let's see what, what like, and I'm going to figure out what's next for me. I had sold my house. I had capital. I wanted to reinvest in myself. I had the RBF concept first. I had it I had the whole brand, but I didn't know where it was going to go. And Kara, who introduced us, she talks about the container. She's like, I, she's like, you can have an idea and like still impact people regardless of the container. And I always thought that was such a cool concept that she had said. And so I, I had it. I just didn't know where it was going to go. And I wanted to make sure it was right in the market, that it was going to be profitable, that it made sense, that it, that it was just going to, that it was just going to make sense in our new market. And so when we moved to North Carolina, I, when we got there, honestly, it was a huge hole in the market in regards to just wine presence, wine bars. Everything was very beer, masculine, industrial, cold. Like, I mean, so it was just, there was just this big hole and it was, and it, and always sat with me of, I'm trying to meet people. I'm trying to make friends. I want to go someplace I feel safe and feel good 
and I just didn't have any place. So I'm like, okay, I think there's a huge piece missing here. And women are like, I mean, rule the freaking economy, like make a place that's just for women. And no, I mean, don't just, for, but you know, like geared towards and have them in mind in every single piece of the process. And so I'm like, okay, take that piece, feminine piece, take no wine presence piece. Let's see how we do. Did a huge business plan, really went to anything that would be considered something wine related that considered themselves a wine bar that considered themselves to have a great wine list. I I really, we 30 mile radius of Raleigh, we just went and explored it all. And there was really an opportunity for this. And I, I, I would say it's a combination. I try not to use the, I lucked out because I think I did put a lot of work in and come with a lot of experience. But the first place I really looked at was in downtown Cary and it's growing and it's a thriving downtown, little tiny downtown market and submitted my business plans. The realtor that we had met with said, there's no way that you're going to get this space. They want to do something else with it. So you can submit it if you feel like it. As always, as I always say, I freaking felt like it and I freaking did it. And <laughs> they picked my vision. And it's, I think just with almost being open a year, we, we obviously hit something. We, and people coming in and their feedback, it's, I feel so comfortable. Like I feel like I feel so cozy. I feel like I'm in my friend's living room, which is exactly what I designed it mm-hmm. to be feel like that you were just visiting your friend and their home or on their patio sitting and just like and talking. It's where we see every single day so many groups of girlfriends come and two, two girlfriends come. They bring, you know, colleagues I'm already crying on your podcast. The, I, I mean, you, you haven't been to RBF if you haven't sat with a girlfriend and cried at my bar yet because that happens yeah. a lot. Like, so anytime I see someone crying, I'm like, you're in because if you haven't cried here, then I mean, you're because, but like, I love that. Like, I love that. Like, people are so freaking comfortable sitting yeah. there and just talking. And so, honestly, it's, it's, it's been more than I could have ever imagined. And it's, it's been the best thing I've ever done and the hardest thing I've ever done. But it's, I, I think it's exactly what I wanted it to be in giving, giving women a space. That's Explain there. the RBF brand. Tell me about it. It was always an f- interesting thing in my roles of in reviews and in talking with bosses and having conversations. Cause it's like, I really did carry probably some of these pieces from my parents in through my career. Like I just am, I'm not that person who's walking around smiling. I'm not driving my car and smiling. I'm usually thinking of everything in my life. I'm thinking about every single thing going on and I just carry it all. I carry it all like in my face and it's, and so in reviews, it'd be like, oh, you know, like everything's great, but you could smile a little bit more or you could be a little more perky. There was another manager at another job that told me I could be perkier once. And I think I said something along the lines of rainbows don't shoot out of my ass. I can't remember. I can't be held accountable for what I said. <laughs> and but it's and so it always bothered me because no one's no one's telling the, the guy in my same role next to me that they're never being told you should smile a little bit more, be a little more approachable, be a little more feminine, be a little more masculine. Like it's meant like, don't have to deal with that. And I always use again, Kara as my example, because Kara is like, 
bubbly and vivacious and she just like she is your number one hype girl she is like the girl that is talking about you in every room but she is just that bubbly presence and i had friends like that in other leadership roles that were told people are going to think you're stupid be more serious and you just like you have to like take on this more almost masculine role to be taken seriously so which is it do i be are we are is it more feminine is it a more masculine and the answer is that it's neither and it's it's us it's it's a way of control it's it's a way to it's it's just a way to control because we're always trying to fix something about ourselves to match what a, a leader is which in so many people is a white male and like this big strong white male presence and so i and i really hope that piece is changing but so that's really where i kind of came up with the concept of it is to really start looking at that. It's it's like look what we like what people do to women of color. It's I had a supervisor and I literally heard her HR director he's like, "Oh, she's like really playing like the angry black woman role." It was it's it's unbelievable like of what not just women, women of color, trans of what people are having to go through to just sort of meet whatever this fake status quo that it that doesn't actually exist so it's really trying to point out some of those things and really trying to bring that type of awareness to open up those conversations i hope it opens up to the conversations of men that make the make the jokes i mean we just saw what happened at like the golden globes with joe joe coy making the comment about taylor swift in the barbie movie and nobody laughing it's like and then him getting mad about it. It's 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 opening those conversations of like that wasn't appropriate and they probably shouldn't be here instead of you're too sensitive, stop it. You know, so I think there's so many things that women have had to experience that men just don't understand, but let's talk about it. Let's let's have the conversation about it and how we can all freaking move forward. It's no surprise that Tiffany has mentioned this a couple of times. Let's have the conversations. It's really one of the main ideas behind this brand mission she's created. Let's get the truth out on the table. Let's be transparent about what's actually going on for women in this country. What I think is so cool about this is that she started with a mission first and then decided how it would come to life. By seeing a gap in the market and, you know, having no female-friendly spaces or wine offerings in her city. RBF could have been anything. It could have been a book or a podcast or it could have been a community group or an apparel line or a nonprofit. But the two things, her mission and the business opportunity that she saw came together. And now it's a wine bar. Yeah. So, I mean, RBF stands for? Resting bitch face. (laughs) (laughs) and all these times you were told to smile more and be more Mm -hmm. this way and you know like file down your edges and all all of these things right around like your authentic style is being direct it's being you know assertive Mm -hmm. and so being told that you have this concept of Mm -hmm. i want to i don't know elevate this message like what was What was the mission before it became a wine bar? The mission was to, I think, to bring, bring a conversation to microaggressions and especially within like the workplace 
And, but I think it exists obviously everywhere, but it's, I think it's just to really start opening up those where we're seeing such a difference between what is expected of men and what is expected of women. And it's asking women, oh my gosh, how are you balancing work and children? No one's asking men that. There's just certain pieces that like questions or assumptions that are being made on both sides that don't, that shouldn't, shouldn't exist. And so I, I really wanted to sort of bring focus to, again, to have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about the culture that you're building at RBF with your team, your employees. And it's, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, like, it's very clear that you're building a, tr- a culture of transparency and that mm-hmm. you've had probably one of the toughest moments in your career was when your voice was taken away. And so it is a... Yep a direct translation of like the thing that hurt me the most to, to not have is a thing that I'm going to give very freely mm-hmm. and generously. This was a huge piece that I wanted to start from the very beginning. And because I think I don't, it's very difficult to go backwards on culture. And I think mm. it's from the beginning, from the start, every person that came in, every person that I interviewed, a lot of people came because of the mission. And it wasn't just like, I need a job. And so I was very particular about who I was bringing in, had a long conversation about what. So here's sort of my mission, vision, values. What does that actually, what does that mean to you? What does that look like in your life? Like what, where has this come up for you? For them to really understand the whole point and the whole process of it. But also I made it very clear from the beginning this is not going to be your standard service environment. There is not going to be bullying, throwing people to the wolves, pettiness, clickiness. Like we're not doing mean girl things here. We're not, none of that is going to exist here. And it's going to be shut down in about five seconds. And there's a no tolerance policy for it. No tolerance of hate, discrimination, anything that it it stops at the door. End of story no ifs, ands, or buts. It was also a piece of wanting them to understand that this was going to go bigger than just coming in and working. I want to do more things. We're working on starting a wine label this year. Eventually, we're working on another location when I can breathe. But there's more things that we want to do with it. And the thing that I want people to always understand that work with me is that It doesn't stop with them just coming in and pouring wine and going home. It's where do you actually want to go? What does, what, where, where people have strengths, but it's maybe not something they want to do. What do you want to do? What do you want to grow into? Do you want to get more knowledge on wine and go the Psalm route? Cool. Let's like really like nurture that. Do you want to go into more further marketing pieces? great, let's start having conversations with that. We're going to need people as we continue to grow to assist in that. I won't be able to do it forever. Social media, same. Like understand our brand, really know what works and what doesn't and like what, like, and who we are to like help put that out to the public. You want to manage? Awesome. Like let's start working through some of these harder conversations because managing as we know is sometimes just absolutely terrible. And it's... (laughs) like working through that dance of like with a guest of where you draw the line and where you protect your employees where, or you, it's just like, okay, here's your free glass and you're fine. Like where you say, no, that actually isn't going to work. This is a business. This is a small business. 
this is actually going to hurt us. And no, we're not going to be taking that. It's like being able to teach them the skills while keeping their strengths, their authenticity and making it work for them. I, I think with my employees, that is the biggest thing for me is to know that they're safe. They can approach me that I will always back them. I do not believe that the guest is always right. And I will back them a hundred percent and they they should not be scared if they made a mistake that they cannot come to me where I'm like, it's okay, we'll figure it out and we're going to fix it. and It's going to be all right. So I think just knowing, having those things when they're not just with me and working with me, but when they're at home too, and something comes up that they can just be honest and talk to, talk to us and tell us what they're thinking or what they're frustrated about. I think that's, I think that's huge to have that level of safety in any relationship job, anything you do. I want to talk about creating an intentional culture from the start. Tiffany was crystal clear on what she and the brand stood for and therefore what it wouldn't include. She even mentioned that a lot of her current employees came to her because they were really passionate about the mission, not because they were looking for a bartending job. I mean, you can build such a strong mission and actually filter every piece of the execution through that mission and a set of values. It creates such a strong foundation for a business. And it also requires a lot of tough choices. And it's a lot of work because you have to create it all from the ground up. But the outcome can be really amazing. It's like she went and challenged this construct of the customer is always right. Because at the end of the day, if the customer is always right, and that's often a mentality in the hospitality industry, that mentality or mindset comes into conflict with the setting of value of the safety and well-being of everyone, customers and staff comes first. So this was one example of of the tough choices that she's making. And the best part is that she's doing all this stuff and they're making money. So let's rejoin the conversation where I ask her about this. I have to congratulate you because I know I worked in the hospitality industry for a while. And like it is practically unheard of for any establishment to be profitable in less than 18 months practically unheard of in this industry. Yeah, we we are we have not we have been able to stay in the stay in the green. So we have been profitable, which has been great. Yeah, which is I mean it's just such a huge accomplishment. That's why I was like Thank I you. need to I need to point that Thank out. You. And that there are ways that you are doing things differently, not just from a standpoint of building transparency in your culture, mm-hmm. building that psychological safety, thinking about What do people want to do? How do they want to grow? I would say that's also something that's uncommon in any job, corporate or otherwise, for somebody to ask you, like, what do you want? Where do you want to go? What do you like? Let's make up a role that doesn't exist today. Yep. Do you find that people are like ready to answer that question or are they kind of like taken aback by it? And they're like, oh, my God, I need to figure that out. No one's ever asked me that before. (laughs) I think it depends. It's it's a little bit on age, I would say. I have one of my employees. She's she's probably my youngest, but my hardest working by far. This girl has a work ethic I have never seen before. Literally, my my feedback of her, I was like, 
you have to stop and you need to come and find me and you need to hold my face and you need to say, I need five minutes and you need to go walk away. I'm like, if you, I'm like, I'm not asking. I'm telling you, you need to do that. She's like, okay, I'll do that. She's just like this. She's just very, she's my, she's like this little quiet human. And, but she is just, the work ethic is unreal. And so I think for her, a lot of it too, is probably her past and her childhood and her upbringing. I don't think she's ever been able to, I don't think anyone's asked her that question or she thinks she can answer it either. And so I, it's always like my, my, it's where I'm challenging her back. It's, I need you to sit on this. I need you to think about it. And so, and I'm like, and if you don't have an answer, that's okay. Like that's, if you just want to do your stuff and do your thing and just make some money and get the heck out of here, that's cool too. But I just always want people to know it's an option. So I Mm -hmm. think people are, they're sometimes taken aback by it. Some are like really excited by it. I, most of my employees, we have seven full-time employees and then seven part-time. And so most of them have full-time jobs and then they just do a couple shifts during the week on the side. So they're definitely, you know, I, I think working with me shows some of the things that are lacking sometimes in their full-time job, which is interesting. So it, especially just being a restaurant or bar, you know, kind of, and we're, they're like, we love coming here. And like, it's like, if they're doing this supplementally, like, I mean, they, they always come in with such a great attitude and wanting to do more. And they're begging for Michael and I to like, feel like we can leave. So they, cause they want to show us what they could do. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I love about my staff is that they're not like, get out of here, you micromanager and you drive us crazy. I'm sure I do on some levels and, and certain times, but they're like, we want to show you, we have got this literally that's what they like that's what we get from them on a day-to-day basis which is just so so cool it's really it's so great to see how they've stepped up in those ways but but yeah we have a good team yeah i'm i'm thinking about this idea because there are other things that you're doing differently from the industry Mm -hmm. too outside of just the culture that you're building can you talk a little bit about the process of of deciding like how do we want to compensate employees? Like, what are the other things that we set up in our structure that are... So we we have a living wage model. So I think that's probably been the biggest one. And so I had decided from the very beginning of when we're like, okay, I guess we're doing a damn wine bar. I, there was no way I could pay people minimum wage. It did not feel good to me. It didn't, it actually didn't fit in with my brand. It didn't fit in with what I'm trying to do and letting people live authentically. Because at the end of the day, when you're walking into like into a restaurant and you're dealing with a server, they're literally having to put on the damn smile and take any type of abuse that you give them. Because at the end of the day, that guest is in charge of how much that they walk home with. And so it isn't authentic. It is a completely fake experience. And so is there a level in all service and sales and stuff you sort of have to put on, like put on the dog and pony show a little bit? Sure. But it's not like dictating your entire experience. Mm -hmm. And so I knew from the beginning that I wanted to pay people a living wage. So they walk in without that. Am I going to make $10 today or what am I... What am I going to do? I did not want people, and it goes back to that safety. It's like being in a job where you feel like you're going to get fired every day. It's the same thing of living on tips. If you do not know if you are going to pay your be able to pay your bills that month, that is not safe. That doesn't feel safe. You don't get to come to work and sort of take a breath. You were like, 
what the hell i think that create then that like that creates animosity between people it's like they got more tables they got this group they like it's it i think it brings like i think it brings humanity down a little bit and just in instead of just having the good in people and being able to really converse with them and talk to people authentically and to really get to know our customers and who's coming in and the people that live in town, you actually don't care. You're just thinking of trying to get through the day and what you're going to be able to pay later. And so I wanted to take that away. I wanted to take it off the, off their plate. I wanted them to know that they know they don't just know what they're going to make because people are still tipping on top of what we're doing. So they know they already know what they're going to go home when if, if they get a little bit extra, that's just a little extra bonus. And so I think that was a huge piece of what I wanted to do differently and I'll tell you, like, there were so many bar owners, restaurant owners that told me they're like, that's never going to work. It'll never work. Employees want to make money that that caps what they can do. It really doesn't. And th- it was it was just this. It will absolutely not work. And after doing this for a year, it 1000 percent works. And those people said that mostly because they don't want to do it. They don't want to have to get on board to start because, hello, I mean, labor costs are, I mean, it's our highest expense. And so I'm like, so that would be a non-take home, you know, so for, for them. So they, I mean, ha- that changes their entire model, that it changes entirely what they bring home. And I was, I'm willing to make that sacrifice and doing that for people that are literally running, helping run my business. So I think that's been probably the biggest thing that I've done. Well, I mean, one of the biggest things that I've done differently, and but it's one that I will never go back on in any way, shape, or form. Well, we are also doing, like, ever, so far, like, we did one at six months. We'll probably do one. We're going to do one at a year, but profit sharing as well to the teams just based on hours that they've worked, hoping to get to a place of, like, more of a 401k situation or continued profit sharing maybe one day health benefits. But I mean, it's just it's just things we have to sort of work through as we continue to grow. But just to make sure we're taking care of our, our peeps. Yeah, it's I mean, as you're talking about all this, it makes me think of the system and the way things work, right? If the customer's always right, you always have to put on a smile. And you, you know, then and that smile is the thing that's going to get you the tips and all of the things, right? And they all work mm-hmm. in concert with each other. So if you change one, the thing falls apart, which is probably why right. people are so resistant to to doing mm-hmm. that. But then it's like when you're building from the ground up, someone who hasn't been in the hospitality industry, like you're mm-hmm. new to this industry. And so mm-hmm. in a sense, it's like you don't have any of the constructs of how a bar is supposed to work or the numbers or the way things fit together, building it from scratch, right? It's like, I have a future guest coming up who took over a nonprofit and hadn't Mm -hmm. really had a new nonprofit experience. And we kind of had the same conversation around like when you, when you're starting with a a clean blank white piece of paper, Mm -hmm. you can build it a certain way, but totally anytime we're ingrained into an industry, it's like, Oh no, but that's a given and that's a given and that's a given. So we, now we have to design around those things. I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit. I think it's just like such an interesting phenomenon. So cool. How you've, you started from scratch. You know, I, I think part of it, it's, I, I, it was, I talked about a little bit about it before. It's like going into a new job and you're like, here's an idea that I have. And they're like, Oh yeah, we did that five years ago and it, it didn't work. Okay. Why did it work? 
what was going on at that time? How big was the company? Who was here? Who was leading? What was happening in the world? What was the political environment? Was there a pandemic? Was like, what was going on? Because it's like life, it's like, why don't we say like, okay, let's look at all those things, take pieces of maybe some of those and let's try, let's see if it'll work. And I think the second we get that, like, nope, we've done that before and it hasn't worked. You're cutting yourself off from so many different things. Obviously, something we're doing is working. And I think if people are not willing to go back and and question certain things that have been ingrained in us, you can't move forward. And if we're always trying to keep things the way they are, we can't move forward. And I think it's really just, it's like building, like you said, building it from scratch and seeing, like, obviously things have adjusted as we've opened, you know, they haven't been exactly the same, but there were things that I knew value wise that I wanted to keep. And I think going at it from a, the customer's not always right and protecting my staff, they, I, I mean, I, I'll think one situation, it was just wild banana sometimes of like these three women, they drank six glasses. They thought they had one bottle and she was like, you will go back and just charge me for this one bottle. I'm like, you drank like almost two bottles. Like, no. And she's like, well, and she points at my server. She's like, well, I told her you're going to take it out of her salary. I was like, you are freaking crazy. And I, and I literally said, there is absolutely no way in hell I'm doing that. By the way, she's my hardest working human and you don't get to talk to her like that. End of story. You, I'm like, and I'm like, you don't even get to talk to me like that. But like just having people hear you stand up for them and not be like, oh my God, I'm sorry. She's just new. And just like, oh, just, we're, they feel protected yeah. in that way where you're not, like, they're, that, I, I think I will do that every single day more than anything. It's like, if somebody actually does something wrong, it's like, okay, let's go over the side. Like, what could we have done different? Like, what will we do different next time? We'll fix it. It's fine. But like, I think just taking out that piece of like the belittling of service and letting people talk to people just because they're in service any way they want to. Again, it goes back to that. Like, it's always been done this way. It's exactly what you said. It's relearning. It's relearning what is allowed and what has been allowed, what has been acceptable, just like the overall concept. What kind of comments have been allowed? What kind of things have we had to accept? What kind of things have we had to just make our reality and like, oh, that's the inappropriate guy. He might accidentally touch your leg, but you just kind of deal with it. We've just dealt with it and done it. Like, let's not. <laughs> let's like, and I, but it's, I, and so that's just what I've kind of taken with it. It's like, we've all, we, we've, it's like, it's always been done that way. Well, guess what it has. It's like, that doesn't have to be how we move forward. And so really taking on those pieces and still integrating that into everything we've done everything we do and will continue to do is just because it's always been done a certain way does not mean that's how we move forward. Doesn't mean that's how we'll always be, but let's look at things, pieces that work, that works for the team, that works for all of us, that helps us all move forward. And let's do those things. Yeah. You strike me as somebody who is really fueled and energized by someone saying you can't do something. Yeah. And then I cry on your podcast. You know, it's all balance. It's all, <laughs> all freaking balance. You know, I uh, listen, being, being strong and crying are not mutually exclusive. Like there you that's go. Important. Exactly. I'm not here for the tears. It's, and I think that that must've come later because I think I was really, I, I think I was really fueled by 
I, I mean, technically no was my first word. So, but <laughs> I think I let the no stop me for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think at some, I, I think at some point I just, I, I really let certain things fuel me as to what I thought I was capable of doing. And I don't know. I actually would love to, I, I have to almost sit in that and think of like when that, when that sh- shift occurred of just, I don't know if it was in my realization of certain things of my mid thirties, but um, I just, I, I stopped letting that. I, I think there's also some point of being in sales for so long. It's, Eh, you hear no, you move on, you do the thing. And so, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure when that, like, I think it most more recently, it's like someone tells me no, I'm like, oh, let's go. But <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's probably popped up in some weird, weird other way. But yeah. So um, what's next for you? What's next for the business? Like, how are you evolving as a leader? You mentioned a couple of things with the business. So I actually really want to focus on you here. Business-wise, we're we're working on. I would like our next kind of venture to be a wine label because mostly I think my logo would look really great on a wine bottle. And <laughs> so, I would like to do that for uh, a couple of reasons of just being able to kind of cut distribution out of certain things and be able to kind of create an experience. People take their little people take their RBF photos at RBF all the time, and they're just hilarious. They're great, and so want people to be able to like snap those somehow be able to put the picture on it, like on the bottle, have it almost be like an experience with it, be something really cool mm-hmm. in more like professional development and uh, development for me. I think the past, well, past like first year was building second year of uh, second year was opening and having our first year in business. But when we started pretty much, this was going to be my venture and this was going to be, I, I did the full business plan. Everything that you see when you walk in is really what my vision was, what I wanted it to look like. I did really a lot on that front of it. As I mentioned, my partner, Michael, he has had his own business for 15 years. He was going to kind of help do some things on the front end, help me get it going and then go back to what he was doing. And we started it and he just realized Eh, he doesn't really want to do consulting any longer. And he really liked what we were doing. And he really liked our mission and, and being able to really do what he was doing, but with our team and continue to, he does Mm. disc trainings and he does like all these, like, I mean, has done these really cool like trainings for our staff to like communication, like styles. And it's, Oh, it's, it's, it's so funny what we've brought into a freaking wine bar. It's hysterical. Like these are corporate training things that we'll, we'll do with everybody. But so he just realized how much he enjoyed that piece of it. So now we are fully like a hundred percent through this time working together, living together, doing the thing together. And it's, you know, and I think between and personally, he's never worked with a partner in this capacity and neither have I. So I'm like first time business owner. He's long time business owner we have decided to do this thing, moved across the country to do this. And so I, I think between the two of us, we have just done so much growing together, like individually and together, but it's like, okay, what does this look like separately together in the business, who we are keeping pieces of our lives and our sanity. Like I'm a little bit more of the extrovert in the relationship. And he's, he's like, I'd like to meditate more. I'm like, I'd like to be with friends more. And so like, I mean, just being able to take pieces of who we are in this process, it's, and being able to trust each other and trust the team and trust the business that we can pass off certain things. And and we're two control freaks. And so 
ha- but like that takes work internally to do yeah. that. Yeah. And to let certain things go and to stop and to rest and to say, we're going to go to dinner. You guys are okay to like, I mean, so there's so many of these pieces and it's in different ways. And he, he has so much on his plate on like, honestly, in the background and I'm so much in the front and it's like, what can he take off my plate? And what I, can I take off his, who else can take? So it's, so a lot of what I'm working on is how I'm able to do that for myself and with a partner and as somebody who was single most of my life and have been so fiercely independent in so many ways. Like, I mean, we both, I mean, there's just so many things that you don't expect to have to work through and have to process and have to sort through in your own head to make sure that you're not in your own way. And he's not in his own way. And I'm not in his way and he's not in mine. So I'm really hoping that this year is more of that rather than just survival mode and us eating nachos at midnight and <laughs> and just like blankly staring at 90 Day Fiance because we can't think. So, I mean, it is a lovely, lovely, you know, ritual that we have. <laughs> but so I think that's really a huge part of what we're hoping this year will be for growth together and separately because we mm. both need different things. It's sure. truly like work-life integration, right? At its finest, like At working finest. together, living together, being partners. Maybe, maybe one day we'll get a very boring television show, you know, but it's, 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 I mean, we, it is, a, it's a weird life we're currently living. It's just a weird life we're living. <laughs> I think that's amazing. And I think, yes, I think you'll, you'll have a, a book to write or a TV show or something in a year from now when you're like, yeah, we made it work. And yeah. here's all the stuff we had to do to get there. So I, I think every single day, I think I can't be surprised today. And then I'm surprised. Like we go and we have some kind of these fake trees and, and there's like a whole slice of pizza in there. We don't serve pizza. We're like, where did where did the slice of pizza come from in this fake tree? Like, so in the moments where you think things can't get any weirder, they just get weirder. So it's, I think the pizza in the fake tree was my favorite. Like, I was just like, where, where, why? Like, so yeah, there could be, there yeah. could be a fun, uh, fun book or sitcom in the mix. You know, you just never know. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing so openly and transparently as is now, you. you know, part of, course, of your of equity course. as a human. Oh, thank you. It. Thank you for having me on and letting me just uh, belt it all out and a little tear and a little laugh. And we did all the things. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it so much. And I'm I'm really inspired by what you are doing at RBF and what you'll continue to do as you grow the business. Thank you, thank you so much. And you'll have to come out here and visit and have, have a good girls night, you know? 100%. I'm so in. Again, I just could not love this more. The culture that Tiffany is creating, an environment that truly centers the well-being and development of the employees, and hey, look at that, it's making money. I love someone who challenges all the existing systems and norms and proves everybody wrong. In the last episode, which was a special episode about quitting your job, I gave you all a boatload of resources. So rather than give you more things to read, I'm just going to leave you with a reflection exercise. I want you to take a blank sheet of paper and make three different columns. In the first column, 
reflect on and write down what were some of your worst experiences with a company culture, a manager, a colleague, or a team? Just list out three to five of kind of your maybe most difficult experiences in the workplace. And feel free to pause here before we move on. And then in the second column, I want you to write out an example or two of what would be the opposite of this. If I took this experience and thought of the 180 degree total opposite, what would that look like? And then last in the third column, I want you to make a note, maybe you grade yourself on a scale of one to 10, 10 being all the time and very well, how often or how well am I doing these things today? The things that you noted down in, in the second column. And then take a step back and just see how you feel about it. I imagine that some of you will see that like Tiffany, some of these things, the opposites of the negative experiences are already a big part of your leadership style. Or maybe you notice some things that you'd like to do more of. And this activity isn't meant to prescribe that you must take all your painful work moments and turn them into your leadership style. That's not really it. But it may give you some ideas or some ahas about how you're leading today and or how you want to evolve as a leader. Thanks so much for listening to Working Your Way. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our episodes, show notes, additional resources, and more at selfatwork.com forward slash podcast.